Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You see that man right there. We got a baseball field. We got a medical lab. We got a smiling stud in the middle, and we got to intro him on the right way. We welcome in a man who is a dual threat. This stud could throw heat on the mound, but look equally as good in a lab coat. Now, I may be called Doc on this podcast, but he's actually a doctor, a man with his PhD, the son of Miracle Met Ron Taylor, the CEO and co-founder of Acorn Labs. We welcome in Dr. Drew Taylor. What's going on? Not too much, man. Thanks for having me. Uh, no problem. In this uh, 40 seconds, you probably realize I'm good at stalking, right? <laughs> you look at good at introductions, that's for sure. I appreciate that. Drew, first and foremost, before we dive into everything, how are you doing? How's your family enjoying baseball so far? Yeah, look at it. It's an exciting uh, season so far. I'm up in Toronto, as you know, so the Blue Jays are are looking like a, a pretty decent team, which is exciting. Um, obviously, we're, uh, we're one of the favorites going in, but they're living up to it, and it's been a lot of fun to watch. Yeah, we need a Blue Jays championship. It's been since 93, so. Since 93. Um, but we're going to talk about the Blue Jays in some capacity because, Drew, I want to start off with the baseball player. And it's been a huge part of your life because, needless to say, if you get to any major league affiliate, you're dominating at many levels prior. So I can imagine high school, college, even little league, like you're at the cream of the crop, right? Well, little league, I was uh, still kind of, Filling out and figuring out where my my arms and legs stopped and, and the ball started. So I think for for me, Little League, uh, I was good, um, but I really kind of found my own in high school where I, I really felt like I had a comfortable release point, started hitting my spots. And, and high school is where I, I really started to, I think, know that baseball was, there was a chance. Yeah. And I mean... Look, you got to some of the minor league affiliates. In 2006, you pitched for the Pulaski Blue Jays. The following year, 2007, with the Auburn Double Days. And in 2008, with the Traverse City Beach Bumps. All great names. I love minor league names. Right. So for your entire career, you go 4-4, four and four, a 3-6-4 ERA, 1.23 whip, 8.3 Ks per nine, and even one save. We got to include that in there because you're a dual threat. I'll take it. But, so you pitched before technology was prevalent. And I'm not just talking about like what we're talking about in MLB, but sites like Fangraphs, Baseball Savant. Are you familiar with them? Yeah, look, at I was even pre-Twitter, so I uh, I didn't have to deal with that either. <laughs> yeah. So these sites, I mean, they go into deep detail, swinging strike rate, how your pitches do, expecting batting average. Do you think if those were around when you were playing that you would use them? Would I have used them as a player? Yeah, like if like let's say you're throwing your fastball and there is an expected batting average of 291, yeah. but your changeup is a much better pitch. Would that affect if you threw your changeup more, kind of your Absolutely. repertoire? Absolutely. So I, um, as a scientist, I'm a bit of a stat guy too. Um, you have to have to be a little bit. Um, we had some, you know, one of the the first iterations I think of that motion capture like initial software that you could leverage when I was at the University of Michigan playing, and uh, I probably used it more than anybody going in there trying to study some of the hitters we face, especially going into like the Big Ten champs and and I had a chance to um, you know to play in the playoffs and in in the regionals. So those those types of things really um, I absorbed and used. Uh, Anything that had to do with stats that I could analyze even more in depth, not just my mechanics, but actually how hitters were reacting to my pitches, um, I would have absolutely jumped all over it. So when you're looking at film, because obviously this is pre-Twitter, this is pre-websites, how are you breaking it down? Are you just saying like, okay, he's a righty, 
He is swinging more at fastballs outside the zone. Like I, I haven't played baseball at that level, so I'm curious to hear your experience. Yeah, I think there's a lot of different things. Um, I mean, to go in, down the road, I think there's a lot of things you just analyze about yourself, right? So um, sometimes you throw a two-seam fastball and it gets hit hard. When you really break down um, the slow motion capture, you can tell if it was a good one or not. I know you can feel that a little bit as a pitcher, but you can see how much it was moving. You can see the spin on the ball, um, you know, calculate the rotation. So there's there's absolutely ways for you to understand where you might have been the cause of why they uh, were able to uh, hit that ball so hard. Um, and then also you can really break down on the other side, like the pitcher, uh, the batter. If, uh, if you see that there is hitters that you've been able to face, and obviously in, when you're playing in a league like the Big Ten or, or you know, at any level at, at you know, from uh, university up, you're going to be seeing those same hitters later in that season again, potentially in the playoffs again, um, certainly in the division championships and things. So you will, uh, you'll have the opportunity to face those guys again. You may face the same hitter, you know, more than a dozen times in the season. And so you really have an opportunity to say, okay, well, what was this guy looking for? What was he sitting back wanting to see from me? Um, see what they're swinging at, see what they're struggling with. And so that you have a little bit of a better idea of, of how maybe to uh, to handcuff them the next time you face them. Yeah. And, you know, Drew, I think an important thing you brought up is, you know, kind of that mental side of it, that that analytics, that breaking down everything side, because I think there's so much emphasis now on throwing hard. You know, can you throw in the upper to high 90s? And yes, while that works for some pitchers because the variance of speed in their, um, you know, pitches that they're offering, a Kyle Hendricks or an Adam Wainwright goes by, you know, painting the corners, by knowing the batters that they faced many times. Um, but ultimately, you had to stop playing because of an injury. So what injury did you suffer and kind of what was the process behind deciding it's my time to hang it up? Yeah, no, it's, it, it, it was actually many iterations and took a while. So I had the injury when I was in university. So I was actually uh, in my junior year, um, the worst time to possibly have an injury in my first draft year. And uh, first game, I uh, was down uh, pitching against uh, the Gators uh, for Michigan. And first inning, uh, I had a decent first inning. Um, you know, no, no real problems. Um, I, I, there's not a moment where I threw a pitch where I was like, okay, I just did something horrible. But I definitely felt in the second inning I went out there and I just did not have my best stuff. Um, but it wasn't until actually I got out of that second inning and went back into the, uh, the dugout and was, was chatting with, um, one of the guys who was actually charting up in the stands came down and said, Hey Drew, are you feeling okay? And I was like, I don't know. It was a bad inning, you know, did not really have my stuff. And he said, well, your fastball was on average nine miles per hour slower than inning one. And so for, for me, I think that that was a pretty telling moment. Like I, I didn't feel great, but I didn't know that it was that severe. Um, so I, I tried to pitch one more time um, that season um, against, oh, I can't even remember what team it was, um, going back too many years now. It might have been Duke. And uh, yeah, I think it was Duke. And I, again, I went out there and I knew it and it hurt more than uh, than that first game. And I, it was pretty evident that I was not going to uh, to be doing well. So I think that for, for then, it was, okay, let's go seek medical attention. Let's go take a look at it. And so I did end up discovering that I had uh, um, fraying in my supraspinatus and a tear in my labrum. 
um, which is not what you really want to hear as a pitcher. You'd much rather have an elbow injury because that's yeah. a lot more repairable. Um, so I, I ended up taking the rest of the season off. Um, we didn't actually do surgery. The tear was literally like that number where if it was one millimeter higher, you'd say, okay, that's operate. And if it was one millimeter lower, you'd say no. So it was, I was given that choice and I had two surgeons that gave me two, two different opinions. One wanted to operate and one didn't. So I opted not to rehabbed back, but I never gained back the velocity that I had before. And, uh, you know, I climbed back up, but never, you know, into the, you know, 90s or touching mid 90s every once in a while like like i did before the injury so that was a pretty big hit but i figured out how to get guys out you know throw uh learn a little bit uh better how to throw a, a better curveball a better slider always had a good change up but um started to kind of mix up pitches and and still had a great rest of the career still pitched well enough to to get picked up you know uh and play professionally um but i just didn't have that that zip on my fastball anymore so tried to get it back and, and ended up kind of surviving for a number of years in the minor leagues. Had some, some you know, decent elements about how I, I pitched. I was always good at getting strikeouts and, and having a decent numbers there. But, um, you know, I think it became pretty evident when I was in the minor leagues that I probably wouldn't make that, that jump up to the, to the next level. Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't realize that throwing a baseball, like you think of playing catch, but that's not a natural motion of the body. So mm -hmm. when you're doing it repetitive, and it's interesting because we've had pitchers on, like Aaron Savali, current for the Cleveland Guardians. And he said, if you make 30 starts a year, you feel 100% for probably three of them. Yeah. And it's sure. like the the fact that I don't think the average person realizes how much wear and tear it that, you know, in a normal July start, you're not feeling 100%, but you're laboring out throwing, you know, 50 plus pitches unless you're getting bombed in the first inning. But I guess at a certain point, you're, you know, it the, the opportunity – kind of doesn't outweigh the reality of I can't continue going. I'm I'm sure it's a nagging injury at some point. We're just like, I, I don't want to do it anymore, right? Mm. I think you'll, yeah, it's interesting to, to put it. I mean, absolutely. I think, the, I think, first of all, the best pitchers are the guys that figure out how to get outs when they're feeling like crap. Mm -hmm. you know, like you're not going to have your best stuff every day. And the best pitchers are the guys that figure out how to get it done when they've got their worst stuff. Uh, because you're going to go out there not once or twice in a season, but many times where you're not feeling like you've got your A stuff. Um, and so still being able to give your team a chance to win um, and not let that other other group put uh, crooked numbers up. Um, you know, those are the guys that kind of separate out. Um, but I, I, I think that for, you know, you always want to play, right? Like I had this injury, I was battling back. I knew I didn't have my best stuff, but, you know, I was still trying to get it back um and, and pushing hard played for a number of you. years after yeah absolutely um and and it's fun right it's fun to play baseball it's exciting to play baseball um so you you don't really want to let that go unfortunately um only a very few people actually get to decide when they walk away from the game on their terms only like the superstars really at some point everybody gets told uh you can't play the great game anymore and uh you've got to make a uh, a tough decision about what you want to do next and so for me um you know it was definitely difficult obviously had baseball in the family and had a had a dad that played in the big leagues and so that's what i wanted to do as well um but you know i i was really lucky that my uh my dad was also a medical doctor right he went back after an 11 year major league career and got his medical degree um so i had an, a, just a you couldn't have a better example of living that kind of dual 
life where uh, you're extremely committed to athletics and performing to the best that you can, but also not neglecting academics or your career. Um, and so by the time I, I finished up with professional baseball, I was wrapping up my third degree, right? And I was able to, uh, to translate that into uh, to a career in healthcare. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's impressive, you know, playing baseball, but also in education. And look, most people, they get a bachelor's degree and they say, okay, I'm good with it. You got a master's and you got a doctorate. Um, and because, you know, post-baseball, you're an entrepreneur, you're a regenerative medicine pioneer, you're making breakthrough medicine accessible for everyone. Um, kind of on the professional side, you worked as part of the Mount Sinai's hospitals, bioengineering of skeletal tissues team then as chief science officer at Epic Capital Management. And in 2017, you co-founded Acorn Biolabs to help more people access the future of regenerative medicine by providing affordable, accessible, and non-invasive cell banking. So that's a lot to unpack right there. But first off, can you describe what regenerative medicine is? And I can't even say it right. <laughs> regenerative medicine is essentially the idea that using a patient's own cells, tissues, um, we are able to provide benefit to somebody that has a deficiency uh, in their cells and tissues performance so that after that treatment, you return to the same performance you had before that disease started. So it's using our own tissues, using our own cells and replacing ones as they break down, don't perform nearly as well, or lead to disease, so we can actually eliminate that disease. Um, some examples of regenerative medicine would be pretty broad, right? Um, you see a lot of, uh, of high-end athletes right now talking about them uh, taking advantage of, of PRP, which stands for platelet-rich plasma, and that's essentially taking uh, some blood, um, spinning it down, and concentrating platelets, but not only that, growth factors that are important for cellular regeneration and healing, and then putting that back, that concentrated um, plasma back into the site of injury to enhance that healing and hopefully have them be able to return to sport faster. Um, can be very powerful. Um, and and has, we've seen some, some cases where it has led to some immense benefits, um, like Tiger Woods and, and other people have used this uh, in a number of, of people in the NBA and MLB. Um, but that's kind of intro regenerative medicine, right? We're not actually taking live cells where we're leveraging those to maybe even culture out and create more cells. Um, but all of these ideas of stem cell therapies, you know, 3D printing human tissues, regrowing organs in a lab, that is all under this umbrella of regenerative medicine, using our own bodies and our own cells to heal ourselves. So... What I think is interesting, and, and you kind of, it, it's the evolution of medicine. Um, and in any sport, but especially baseball, there's a lot of injuries you can sustain. For hitters, it doesn't seem as, cre as frequent, but you can have hamstring strains, torn ACLs. Sure. Um, what we're seeing a lot this year is oblique injuries because players haven't ramped up their body. And so when they're swinging and having that torquing motion, they're having oblique strains. For pitchers, it seems mostly throwing to, you know, elbow, UCL, shoulder, lat. How does this type of medicine work for different sorts of injuries? Yeah, I think that pitchers are, are always the ones that are a little bit more susceptible because they experience chronic injuries, right? It's that overuse or that long-term wear and tear that eventually kind of breaks down um, to a point where all of a sudden it's, it's really affecting performance. 
Um, and that can accumulate over a career. We see that happen with pitchers, right? Um, I had a former pitching coach that said you only have so many bullets, right? And so many, so many throws that you can make in your life before your arm's going to give up. Um, with hitters, we see a lot more um, instantaneous injuries, right, or acute injuries where, you know, they're running the bases, um, you know, going 100% and they ended up, you know, pulling a muscle or an oblique or, or um, having that kind of instantaneous injury. So a little bit, you know, two different types, really. Um, but there's a lot of concentration on pitchers because we see such a volume right, of these chronic injuries coming to a point where you end up having, uh, you know, some of these things can be career career ending. Um, you know, not just putting a, a pitcher on on the 14-day DL, right? Like this is this is something where, like, are you going to lose them for the season? Is their career over, right? Because some of these uh, things, especially with shoulder injuries, can be career ending. Um, I think that what we're seeing in regenerative medicine, we're, we're at the kind of beginning stages, I would say, um, but we've already experienced the inflection point. Like we have seen the widespread adoption of not only um, PRP and these types of, of intro regenerative medicine, but actually using live cells themselves, like stem cell therapies, mesenchymal cell therapies. We even see now therapies being leveraged as we work on using non-invasive cell sources that can be accessed from simply the human hair follicle. We see a lot of people in Hollywood and high-end athletes starting to access these things uh, earlier than than most hospitals are are really offering them, right? And most physicians are offering them. And I think it's going to take some time for for these things to to percolate and be widely accessible across uh, you know most healthcare systems. But for right now, um, we are seeing a lot of people that do have access um, to either money or or opportunity because their career depends on it right that's um, how it is it is how it is right it's the uh you know not uh the technology is here it's just not equally distributed yet um so we uh we've already seen um people access and receive immense benefits now you have to be a little bit careful and i do have to say because i think it's very important that um with any kind of buzzword or area of excitement like stem cells um, it does attract people that may not be offering the most safe and efficacious treatments in the world, mm -hmm. especially because most of these people are, are accessing these types of things outside of FDA or Health Canada regulations, right? They're going to countries where things are allowed, where the regulatory systems are probably a little looser. Um, so you have to be very careful. Right. Um, and I don't suggest people run off um, to any clinic and do these things. You want to make sure that you are working with physicians that are delivering uh, the best therapy. And that's very hard to discern sometimes. And so for people, I, I always suggest sometimes as patients, we have to exhibit a little bit of patience. Um, these therapies are coming. They're coming very quickly. Um, but we want to make sure that they can be delivered to people in, in safe and efficacious ways. So the counterpoint to this, though, and, and this is just me playing devil's advocate, mm -hmm. is that medicine and surgery is the best that it's ever been. And a recent example, Ronald Acuna Jr. tears his ACL in July and is going to get activated today in April. So mm -hmm. that's a nine month recovery time from getting in game action. Nathan Ivaldi has two Tommy John surgeries and is throwing 180 last 180 innings last season and his fastball is at 98. What would you say, how would you combat that argument that 
hey, stem cell is the way to go as opposed to kind of the traditional procedures? Yeah, so I don't think that they are, are mutually exclusive, right? And so if you are able to take, I mean, when you're, when you're thinking about, right, like an ACL tear, Mm-hmm. Right, you can have a fully severed ACL, um, and the way that we repair that is essentially to replace that ligament with either using a, a cadaver or a donor area in your own body, where we harvest a tendon uh, in your hamstring and use it there. So um, there is a recovery period. You're having to affix that onto both sides of the knee into the bone, um, and it has to heal. And it can be a very long recovery, like you said, nine months. Well, what if we can add stem cells to fast track that process and you can be back in half that time, right? Like there are opportunities for stem cells to complement some of the more traditional therapies or surgical interventions. And I don't think that stem cells are going to replace some of those things. If we have micro tearing and it's not going to be surgical, those are the areas where I think that stem cells can actually have immense effects where we're able to confer benefit and uh, really fast track the healing process. But not only that, um, have a better healing process. One of the the biggest things that uh, we worry about when you have these tearings is the formation of scar tissue or misaligned fibers in that tendon ligament or muscle. Because if they're not aligned properly with the muscle, you end up really not pulling in the right direction. They're not contributing to the power that can be generated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you're going to end up sacrificing performance, even recovered from that injury. So if we can actually use elements and stem cells that align properly, right, as they, they kind of lay down new tissues with the tissue that's already there. And, and we've seen in, in multiple studies with connective tissues, how stem cells are able to do this better. Um, it, it, it can really lead to not only um, faster recovery times, but actually better performance coming out of that recovery. So there's, they're not um, going to replace each other, right? There's, there's no idea that, that stem cells will replace surgery when it's needed. It's more that it has the opportunity to enhance those surgical procedures, have return to, support, uh, to sport happen faster, and maybe even improve the actual, um, you know, the actual healing of that tissue um, so that its performance is better at the end. But then also it can act as a, an opportunity for us to address, you know, tears that are not going to be surgically approached. You know, they're, they're, we're not going to do surgery on this, but we want enhanced healing. We have PRP and that would be like one of the, the obvious kind of steps to try to, uh, to enhance the healing in that area. But what if we could actually complement that PRP with also our own live cells that can contribute as well? So in terms of next steps, because this sounds like this is something that, you know, is, is, is on up and rise. And you had mentioned that it's not evenly distributed. Yeah. Um, what what is the the kind of outlook to get this more commonly used? And maybe even for the average person that isn't an athlete to have these procedures and injections. Yeah, I think, you know, average like when we say average people, right, everybody wants to be able to do something right? I mean, it may not be career dependent, right? So it it Mm -hmm. may not be um, an extra year and extra millions of dollars in your career, right? So the stakes are certainly extremely high in professional athletes. And if we can, using some of these new technologies, prolong their career or allow them to return to sport faster, 
it can have massive implications on the bottom line, not only for the players themselves, but for the organizations that they're representing. So there's, there's like high stakes, right, monetarily, but also nice. like, you know, we're representing that city, right? Like this is um, the idea of just putting a winning team on on the uh, the field to represent your city alone is uh, is is exciting. And we want to be able to make sure that the players have the opportunity to do that and are not sitting on the sidelines watching it. So absolutely stakes are high there. But look at I want to be able to play sports with my kids and run around I, as I age and I beat up my body when I was playing a fair bit, right? Not not like a linebacker, maybe, but for sure, <laughs> like we play sports and, and you know, we get our, our um, wears and tears, I still feel pain in my shoulder if I sleep on it the wrong way. Um, to this day. So we are going to as athletes and as even just active people doesn't matter professional athletes, we are going to experience aches and pains, we all get older. And some of the things that don't remind me, (laughs) dude, it's coming. (laughs) I'm ahead of you. So it's coming. (laughs) Um, It's, you know, it is one of those things where aging catch up to us. And it happens kind of in a way where all of a sudden you're, you, you know, you do an activity that kind of weekend warrior syndrome over the weekend, a little bit more strenuous than you have done before. And you wake up that next morning and all of a sudden you're like, wow, I'm old, um, relatively old, right? Whatever, yeah. whatever that it's that feeling that you're like, this is not how I would have felt getting out of bed after that exercise when I was in my twenties. Um, and so ultimately like those things catch up to us and we're going to deal with chronic wear and tear, right? We're going to deal with, deal with knee pain. I know I'm going to be dealing with shoulder pain probably as, as I enter my later years, I want to be able to combat that as well. So it's not really exclusive to high end athletes trying to extend their careers. This is also about for those professional athletes and amateur athletes and people that just want to stay active later into life, which is most people. Um, the ability to do so without, um, you know, with limiting the amount of pain, with enhancing our ability to actually regenerate after after injuries and keep on doing the things that we love and staying active. Um, I think this is for everybody. Um, and I think one of the things that I am really excited about our mission at Acorn is to make sure that everybody has access to it. Because as we've already talked about aging and those things catching up to us, that's exactly what happens to ourselves. Right. As we age every day that goes by, you know, our cells are getting a little bit worse. Um, and uh, this turned depressing. I know it turned depressing. I'm sorry. That's uh, we'll get back to baseball. <laughs> this, is this is reality. <laughs> it is reality. Right. Uh, every day that goes by, we get older. And if if we are if regenerative medicine is leveraging our own tissues to keep us healthy, to reduce disease um, and to keep us active, Right. If, if regenerative medicine is going to accomplish those things for us, then we have to ensure that we have the best starting material to deliver on regenerative medicine. And that's our I own cells. It. Right. We're not going into a laboratory and worried about the purity of a compound or, or a, uh, uh, a chemical for a pharmaceutical product. Right. In regenerative medicine, we're leveraging our own cells to confer benefit to ourselves. And so therefore, the treatments are only going to be as powerful as the cells that we have access to. And so what we've really done, and I saw this firsthand at Mount Sinai, and you mentioned I was part of the skeletal tissues engineering team, which was fantastic because I was working on things that, you know, I saw as an athlete. Um, so it's such an amazing extension of, of and a bridge for my athletic career. But I was I was actually looking at a lot of cases for, for knee and hip pain. And it was a lot of elderly people coming in um, for surgery um, to replace their knees and hips. So total arthroplasty, right? Um, 
And these individuals are in, in, in a lot of pain, right? Losing their ability to ambulate or walk and they're coming in for a solution. And what we were doing is essentially taking out their joint and replacing that joint with metals and plastics, right? It's a very successful surgery and delivers a lot of benefit for people, but it doesn't last forever, right? And so you're going to have to have that surgery again. And so our whole team, our goal was, can we create instead of metals and plastics to replace that joint? Can we actually replace the tissues that are wearing down for that patient? Instead of putting on layers of metals and plastics on the end of their bones, can we actually recoat them with their own cartilage? And so it was a very ambitious project. And my role was actually taking some very successful animal studies and translating that into human models. So I was going to the OR, taking biopsies of patient cells and bringing them back to the lab and seeing if in practice we could actually culture these things out. I was doing this with when I was playing and your facial expression looks exactly like <laughs> it does when I was telling my teammates what I was doing in the off seasons. <laughs> I, you know, there I, I don't have a lick of uh, biochemistry or, or engineering or any of that in my field, I stick to sales, but I mean, Drew, you could be, here's the thing. People could be listening to this and you're the one that's implementing the, you know, technology and the medicine that's going to help them because you're right. It's for the everyday people that want to be able to play sports yeah. with their kids to not have this, this chronic pain, you know, as, as you mentioned, like getting older, the, it catches up with you. And I think it's, it's a way to try to be proactive rather than reactive before you say, Exactly. This injury is too bad where I need surgery or I let this linger. How can we address it early so that we can subside the pain? So that's you hit it right on the head, right? So that's exactly what I experienced doing this work, right? I was taking the cells back to the laboratory and really culturing them out so that we could see in practice that we could do this into the future. And in human cells, it wasn't working very well. And so, you know, we, we looked at it a million different ways, but ultimately not until we compared getting old, younger human tissues and realize that all of the animal studies were done in a, essentially the equivalent of adolescent animals, so like teenagers. And so we accessed some older animal cells. Did we see that it was age dependent? Didn't matter about, you know, translating this from animals to humans. It was the age of what, whether it was animal or human that led to our ability to actually culture and grow out the cells that would be needed to regrow cartilage for that, that patient. And so, I mean, it was pretty sad not to make more depressing, but it was a depressing moment in my career, right? Because I'm sitting back saying, look at, we have amazing groups. Like at Mount Sinai, we were, you know, regrowing cartilage down the hall, right? In, in, uh, in Mount Sinai, there's another group working on regrowing kidneys, right? Um, in Tel Aviv, they're working on projects to, to regrow miniature human hearts, right? From our own skin cells. These amazing groups all around the world creating these therapies. And what I foresaw was a future where patients are going to be coming to us in a time of need, which is usually later in life when they're elderly and saying, I need this. And us as physicians and scientists having to tell them, yes, you do. But unfortunately, you're not a candidate because you're either too old or too sick um, and your cells are not going to be able to perform at the capacity we need them to. Oh, man. So that's the future that we're not going to accept. Right. So what we need to do is intercept that timeline. And unfortunately, 
every day that goes by, we get older. So the best thing we can do is to lock in that starting material that's going to be so valuable later in life when we need to depend on that youth and that performance of those cells. And so we, we non-invasively have created a way to just pluck hair follicles, access these amazing cells, rich in adult stem cells that we can actually cryopreserve and store frozen in time where they do not age anymore in our labs so that you can go on living and have a portion of you that doesn't age. That's the optimistic note I want to end on for this because we, we want to end on a high note. But Drew, I told you when you came on that we're going to have a little fun at the end. Yes. So I have five rapid fire questions. Okay. This or that. You probably haven't been asked some of these before you game. I'm game. All right. The first one, we'll keep it baseball related. Would you rather get a win with no strikeouts or a save with three strikeouts? In the win, you're going five innings, so minimal possible. Would I rather get a win? I'll take no the win. Strikeouts. I'll okay. take the win. Yeah. Okay. But no K's though. All right. I like it. Yeah. No. Would you rather sleep with a porcupine or sleep with a skunk? Oof. So we have three dogs at home and um, the big one has been sprayed by a skunk now. Like it's gotta be three times and oof, porcupine's rough. I'll take the porcupine. Cause honestly, a skunk I've, Giving her a bath, me getting into the shower with that dog, honestly, it was pretty rough. I mean, there you go. It's yeah. it's the way to eliminate one. For one year, would you rather sleep on the hardwood floor or only take cold showers? And I feel like I know your answer now based on what you were telling me earlier. Yeah. You know, I, look, I'll take a cold shower. I don't mind cold showers. I'm not, I'm Canadian. Cold doesn't bother me. Okay. I mean, that's the right answer. You can take a two minute shower, but that, your body's going to ache even more after sleeping on the hardwood for a year. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll what take is, cold showers. What is your favorite cereal? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I've got a few. I've got a few. I like granola. So I like basically anything that has like, you know, hearty crunch. Okay. Um, but, you know, on St. Patty's Day, I'll pour myself some Lucky Charms. Only on St. Patrick's Day of Lucky it, Charms? Yeah. No, because it's not, you know, too many marshmallows, too much sugar, right? Wait, well, I feel like most people like Lucky Charms for the marshmallows. Exactly. That's what I mean. But you can't you can't live on that, right? That's not exactly. I mean, I don't buy cereal because it doesn't last. That's true. But that, that's yeah. a good point there. We've got three kids in the house. So cereal, you know, it goes. Okay. I, that That's fair. That's fair. And they don't want, Dad, where'd my cereal go? <laughs> yeah, I can't touch the Lucky Charms. We get it. It's like gold. All right. The last one here, Drew, is an important one. Do you pull your toilet paper from the top? Or from the bottom? Do I pull my toilet paper from the top? Yeah. So do bottom? you pull it? Do you roll pull it like roll over. Down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like do you pull it from the top here, or like do you pull it under? Oh, it's from the top. I'm not. Oh my god! What? I'm starting to think I'm doing it the wrong way. Everybody says top. Yeah, man. You gotta. I don't know. Well, keep it away my, from the wall. Like I don't. Here's know. here's my thinking. What's easier, shin ups or pull ups? Chin-ups, this is the natural motion. It's natural to pull this way. How heavy is the toilet paper you're using? It's not heavy, but it's Dude, the invest principle. In the, invest in the soft stuff. It's, but it's the principle of it. It's like this is this is the natural motion as opposed to this. Like, it's, this just feels weird to me. Okay, but if you're talking to a lot of pitches, we're not used to natural motion. So. That's fair. That's fair. I, you know what? Now I feel like I need to start pulling my toilet paper from the top. But Give it a shot. Uh, okay. I will. I, I, I'll know later today. Probably. If it ruins but. your day, then stop. <laughs> That's true. It's going to be a small thing like that. But Drew, 
Really appreciate you coming on and informing a lot of people about the future of medicine. Before we get you out of here, where can people find you, whether it be on the socials? I know you're active on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, no, do do a fair bit on LinkedIn, but um, um, I'm getting into uh, Instagram. So uh, you can check me out there at Dr. Drew Taylor. Um, we also have a, a site uh, on Instagram or a page on Instagram, uh, Acorn Biolabs. Um, but, you know, on Twitter as well, Drew W. Taylor. Um, and then, honestly, if people want to learn more about what we're up to, um, check out uh, acorn.me. Awesome. Check it out because it's a lot of good information. And, it's uh, you know, when you can go down that rabbit hole of information, this is a good one to go down. But Look, everybody, I, I wish I wish at the beginning of my career, I would have been able to bank my cells before uh, old age started catching up to me. I'm not not quite there yet, but I'm getting close. I know. No, we're we're only as young as you feel. But everybody that tunes into Triple Play, appreciate you watching. Make sure you check out some of Drew's content because it's really informative stuff out there.